Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And God bless. And God bless. And God bless. God bless. Donald Trump. I want to start this week's podcast with a moment in 1998 at the height of the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky scandal. But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. Clinton, the president, had had a sexual affair with an intern, and he had lied about it under oath. And it was this frenzied moment in which America was wrestling with the failures of a man and his character and his arguably morality and how those failings impacted with his responsibility as a president, as steward of the highest office in the country. Clinton was being impeached, you could say, in both senses of the word. He was to be charged with misconduct in high office, but also his very integrity as a person was being called into question. And at that time, the Southern Baptist Convention, a huge network of evangelical churches across the country, passed a resolution. They said that it was wrong for religious Americans to, quote, excuse or overlook immoral or illegal conduct by unrepentant public officials. They said, crucially, that moral character matters to God and should matter to all citizens. We urge all Americans, they said, to elect those officials and candidates who, although imperfect, demonstrate consistent honesty, moral purity, and the highest character. Now, you've got to excuse me for my indignance, but how on earth did we get from there to here? We want our children to know the blessings of God. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. We don't worship government. We worship God. Proud boys, stand back and stand by. We love the Bible. It's the It's the best. We love the art of the deal, but the Bible is far, far, far superior, right? Yes. I am the least racist person there is anywhere in the world. I just think the Bible is just something very special. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. I have great relationship with God. I have great relationship with uh, the evangelicals. And Pocahontas is not happy. She's not happy. She's the worst. 
Pocahontas. It's Pocahontas. You know, repent. Why do I have to ask for forgiveness? Somebody had to do it. I am the chosen one. It might be too simple and too neat to say that white evangelicals at some point in Donald Trump's presidential campaign back in 2016 decided that they were going to do a deal with the devil. But it's certainly a hard characterization to ignore. After all, Trump is a man who has been married twice, is accused of multiple sexual assaults by multiple women and allegedly had an affair with a porn star. He is not by any stretch of the imagination, a man of God. And that's what we're investigating this week. I'm Basha Cummings, and in this week's Slow Newscast, we're speaking to evangelical voters who made an uneasy pact with Trump four years ago. And we're asking them, has he delivered? Can he still count on your vote? Because if this significant block of 35 million conservative evangelicals claim that they've won in the last four years, that they've gotten so many of the things that they really wanted from Donald Trump, it's also worth asking what might have been lost along the way. And it's important, of course, to remember that this is bigger than just Trump and the evangelicals. In understanding this relationship, you get to the heart of what's going on in the election more broadly how Trump makes people who felt like they were losing feel like they're winning again, from the white working class to the far right to the evangelicals too. Slow News is a podcast made by us here at Tortoise. We're a news publisher, in an app, online, in our daily SenseMaker email and, as you already know, in podcasts. What's different about us is that we investigate what's driving the news, and we'd love you to join us. By becoming a member of our newsroom, you'll get access to our journalism, and you can join our open news meetings and help decide what matters in the world, and how we should report it. To get access to all of Tortoise, all you have to do is download the Tortoise app, now available in the iOS or Google Play Store, and take a free trial. My name is Rika Sharma Rani. I'm a freelance journalist based in Oakland, California. Rika writes for the New York Times, the LA Times, Politico, and many others. She spent time reporting on evangelicals and how many of them have been horrified by Trump and who are now trying to find a political home with the Democrats. But we asked her to spend some time really trying to understand the terms of this pact that some evangelicals predominantly white evangelicals, have made with Trump. And we start with a characteristically, you could say, dark and menacing moment in June. Davis, is he going this way? Which way is he going? Mr. President, are you prepared to use the military against U.S. citizens? Press, press, we're going And I think we need to start here because it feels like the culmination of four years of role-playing. And it was about a clear image and a clear message. And in Washington, there was this moment that riot police used tear gas to clear peaceful protesters to allow Donald Trump to walk from the White House to St. John's Episcopal Church. And there... 
He held up a Bible and posed for photographs. And so I asked Ricca, what was really going on here? You really need to look at sort of the confluence of events that's happening in the United States. When Trump made that four-minute walk to St. John's Episcopal Church, he was walking through protests against the killing of George Floyd that had occurred the previous week. There was, the protests were mostly peaceful, but there had been some looting going on. And so you see him walking this path. Press, press, we're going. Having cleared the protesters out, walking this path to the church. And on the surface, that looks like a publicity stunt. It won't take long. It's not going to take long to see what's going on. It's coming back. It's coming back strong. Donald Trump pandering to religious voters, and that is certainly true. But there is also a message embedded in that that isn't quite as obvious unless you are familiar with the the discourse among evangelicals in America, which is really this idea that Donald Trump is an imperfect messenger or a vehicle to achieve the aims of the religious right. Trump's press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, compared Trump's visit to the church to Winston Churchill's walks through London during World War II. This idea that he was projecting calm amid the chaos. President, it was powerful and important to send a message that the rioters, the looters, the anarchists, they will not prevail, that burning churches are not what America's about. And that moment, holding the Bible up, is something that has been widely hailed by Franklin Graham and others. And it was a very important symbol for the American people to see that we will get through this through unity and through faith. And the fact that he was going to the church signaled something to evangelical voters, um, who many of whom believe he is uh, a savior of sorts who will deliver to them the goals of the religious right. And so that was really, there was a symbolism attached to that visit to the church. It wasn't just Trump uh, standing in front of a church with a Bible. It was Trump really trying to reinforce that savior narrative that has been floating around him within evangelical circles in in the United States. That idea that he's a savior is, is really remarkable to me. And I'd like to sort of rewind and ask, how did we get to the point where a man who's been, you know, twice divorced, he's been accused of sexual assault by multiple women, who, you know, has been alleged to have had an affair with a porn star, Stormy Daniels, who can't even cite his favorite Bible passage. I just think the Bible is just something very special. He's out in front of a church holding a Bible playing to the religious voters in the country as riots are happening across the country. How, how did we get there? And how do we hold those two things next to each other? To the casual observer, it feels unfathomable. It, it doesn't make any sense. And I think for it to make sense, you really have to go back to you know, several decades back to what's been going on 
politically on the religious right, uh, which is that evangelicals have suffered a series of policy defeats in the court going back to the 1960s when schools prayer was was taken out of schools that was i think the beginning of a major sh- sort of cultural shift taking place in the united states towards sort of s- more secularism and um that, you know a decade after prayer was taken out uh, taken out of schools we had the landmark decision around abortion roe v wade in 1973. Supreme Court today ruled that abortion is completely a private matter to be decided by mother and doctor in the first three months of pregnancy. The 7-2-2 the ruling to that effect will probably result in a drastic overhaul of state laws on abortion. Specifically, the court today over... And that really kicked off. It was a turning point in evangelical civic engagement. I think before that, evangelical leaders had by and large kept politics out of the church, but it was around this time that that really started to change. And so we started to see evangelical leaders urge their followers to you know, flex their muscle politically. And over the next decade, they did that. And in fact, were a critical reason why Ronald Reagan was, you know, beat Jimmy Carter in 1980 in a landslide. This is Chris Wallace at the Century Plaza Hotel. There you see the new first family of the United States. Governor and Mrs. Reagan, their four children, Irene, Mike, Patty, and Ron, and Reagan's older brother, Moon Reagan. There he is. Thank you very much. But, you know, still, even after that, we've had this sort of cultural march towards sort of more progressive social policy. In 2015, you know, most recently we had the legalization of gay marriage. So all of this for evangelical Americans are major defeats, right? They push up against evangelical values that are really core to how people see the world and how they live their lives and their interpretation of what is right and wrong. And so we really have an evangelical population that is feeling beaten down by the time Donald Trump comes on the scene. I base out of Eastern Tennessee. I spoke with an evangelical pastor named Tony Suarez from Tennessee. He's a member of Trump's Evangelical Advisory Council, and he's a vocal supporter of the president. And one of the things we talked about was this idea among evangelicals that their voices are silenced. Speaking as a conservative evangelical Christian, what you see right now is if I bring, a, if I bring something up that concerns me, that, that I have a problem with, there is an, an, an X immediately put on me as some kind of zealot, some kind of whatever. But if the LGBTQ community brings it up, if a, or another liberal entity brings it up, there's almost like an automatic, automatic acceptance and openness to what they're... And so that's, that's concerning. I didn't think my kids, you know, my kids are in public school. I didn't think my kids were going to have to go to public school and learn about same-sex attraction or, 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 you know, in, in their health classes or, I, I mean, I wasn't raised that way. I know I knew the community, but those are things that for me concern me. And, and, uh, but if I voice that I'm, I'm viewed as 
some kind of old fashioned um, guy that that that's not a that's not tolerant at all. But it's it's that that tolerance plays both ways. Sometimes I have found that the community that advocates the most for tolerant are the the most intolerant people I've met when it comes to my views, at least. We didn't elect Trump to be our pastor. We elected him to be our president. A president, not a pastor. I think it's a really good distinction that Tony makes. And so we arrive at 2016, the year that Trump obviously won the presidency. And I suppose I have a two-part question. One is, what does it mean to be an evangelical Christian in 2016 and indeed 2020? What is that? And then, I suppose, how did Trump court that vote? How did he project himself to them as a candidate? I feel like we could spend an hour trying to parse out what it means to be evangelical in America. It's very complicated. The sort of broad definition I think that I have seen is uh, a common set of, of tenets that people who identify as evangelicals share. Uh, one is conversionism, this belief that lives need to be transformed through some sort of born-again experience. Another is activism, so the idea that you know doing missionary work and working towards social reform adherence to the Bible, and this idea of redemption. So believing that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross can lead to the redemption of humanity. So those are the four broad tenets of evangelicalism. But it's really important to say that it's, it's sort of hotly debated, and different scholars will have different definitions of what it means to be evangelical. And, and so... Despite the, those differences that, that, you know, it's not a homogenous community as such and there are, you know, different definitions, how did Trump persuade those people into... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
2016, you know, even after a tape comes out where he is caught saying that he grabs women by the pussy, how did he convince those people that he was he would be the president for them? So Donald Trump has an uncanny knack for identifying grievance and capitalizing on it. Right out of the gate, when he became a candidate in 2015. But we are going to protect Christianity. And if you look what's going on. He started signaling to evangelical voters uh, that he would be an ally. And Christianity, it's under siege. I'm a Protestant. I'm very proud of it. Presbyterian, to be exact. But I'm very proud of it. Very, very proud of it. And we've got to protect because bad things are happening. Very bad things are happening. And we don't, I don't know what it is, we don't band together, maybe other religions, frankly, they're banding together and they're using it. Here we have, if you look at this- You know, he talked about religious freedom. He expressed his opposition to abortion, even though he had been pro-choice earlier in life. I am pro-choice in every respect and as far as it goes. So his campaign became sort of a laundry list of evangelical priorities. And so while in the sort of mainstream political discourse, there was this conversation about Donald Trump being this playboy business tycoon who was crass and, you know, a misogynist in evangelical circles, there was another conversation happening really around this messaging that Donald Trump was putting out. And I think that evangelical voters made a calculation, you know, based on sort of the history of these these sort of cultural setbacks that they felt they had been experiencing over the last decades. And there was a, a sense that Donald Trump uh, would be a different kind of candidate and would deliver on those promises. I saw a remarkable statistic uh, from Pew that said that 81% of white evangelical Christians voted for Trump in 2016, which is the highest vote share of that demographic uh, for any Republican president in 20 years, more than Bush in 2004. And so I suppose the question really is, has he delivered for them in office over the last four years? Do you think that his support will have grown or will the various scandals, not least Stormy Daniels, but so many others too, will that, would that have shaken that support? I think you'll find a lot of evangelicals who find him distasteful, who don't approve of his behavior, who wish he would tweet less, who understand that when he stands in front of a church and holds up a Bible that it is political pandering. However, there is a significant proportion of white evangelical voters who believe that Trump has more than delivered on his end of the bargain. He very quickly into his uh, first term reinstated and dramatically expanded uh, the Mexico City policy, which in effect curbs funding for organizations overseas that are providing abortion. And so that was an immediate win for evangelicals who are, you know, the the vast majority of whom are uh, anti-abortion. He also appointed, made several appointments 
that uh, evangelicals were very pleased with. So to head the Department of Health and Human Services, he appointed Alex Azar, who uh, had been active in sort of you know, evangelical and anti-abortion politics. He moved the, uh, the embassy, uh, the U.S. embassy to Israel, to Jerusalem. I have determined that it is time to officially recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. While previous presidents have made this a major campaign promise, they failed to deliver. Today, I am delivering. What what evangelicals see as a sort of campaign promise fulfilled. And so there's a general sense that Donald Trump, you know, very ably went through the checklist and began knocking out campaign promises. I think, by and large, if you speak with evangelicals, they uh, do believe that he has delivered and then some on his campaign promises. While there has been this narrative that evangelical voters are somehow being duped or can't see the president for who he is and don't know that he's, you know, pandering to them, my sense from the conversations that I've had is that they do know. It's just that they are willing to tolerate that in exchange for uh, the policies that they would like to see. I spoke with a voter from New Hampshire who is uh, evangelical. Hi, I'm Sandy. I'm, uh, I'm from Texas. I uh, was born there, lived there my whole life. You know, I'm a, a Christian, and uh, that's where my you know, values and um, you know, a lot of how I, I think about the world um, comes from. I asked him, you know, how did you feel about the president holding up the Bible in front of the church? And his answer surprised me. At the end of the day, I'm not electing a personality. Um, I'm looking for someone that will enact policies. Looking at what, you know, the actual policies that have been enacted and the, and the governance that is happening under the president's hand, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm happy with a lot of what's happened in terms of policy. But that is just, again, to be very clear, totally different than being enthusiastic about a person's personality and, and how they hold, you know, how they present themselves. That doesn't reflect my values. You know, I would say Donald Trump in a million years doesn't reflect my, my values, you know, my moral values and, you know, how, how I see life at all. But, but that's not what I'm doing in the voting. I'm looking for policies that will be enacted to move this country in a better direction. So in effect, it's this a similar kind of transactionality that we see in Trump. And I think that does have implications for evangelicalism in the long term. When Bill Clinton was being impeached, evangelical leaders wrote a letter saying that character matters and it should matter who, you know, the character of the president. And I don't think they'll ever be able to say that again, or at least not for a very long time, with any credibility after Donald Trump.
Rika, so you say that, you know, it's not that evangelical voters are being duped into this, that they, they're going into this knowing this isn't ideal and that there could be long-term consequences, but the policies are so good, it's exactly what they, they want, they're going to go with it anyway. And I was struck when in that sort of strange, almost North Korea-style televised message from hospital uh, when Trump was being treated at Walter Reed for coronavirus, he kept referring to a miracle coming down from God. I think this was a blessing from God that I caught it. This was a blessing in disguise. I caught it. I heard about this drug. I said, let me take it. It was my suggestion. I said, let me take it. And it was incredible the way it worked. Incredible. And I suppose that it was sort of quite explicit, you might argue, but but it was kind of in the same way that he's been sort of dog whistling to far right groups. He's also been sort of sending signals to evangelical voters explicitly and sort of covertly. Would you say that that's a sort of fair characterization that that it's not always that he's being explicit about why he's doing these things, but that he knows that they'll play well if he can get the evangelicals attention? I think that's absolutely a fair characterization. Trump is having two conversations, one with the mainstream public and one with different constituencies within his base, one of them being white evangelicals. And I would be hard pressed, I think, to find prior to 2015 when Trump declared as a candidate, him making many references to miracles or God. He is not somebody who quotes from the Bible or talks about God. Uh, I don't believe he has attended church uh, very frequently as president. So I think it's fair to say, you know, when he makes a video in which he's referencing, you know, miracles coming down from God, that he is uh, speaking to a particular audience. And so let's go back to that photo op in front of the church. Did it, did it work? Did moving the embassy work? Did attending pro-life rallies work? Should Trump be totally confident of the evangelical vote right now, do you think? I think Trump can be confident of the white evangelical vote. I think the photo op in front of St. John's Church, I don't know that it particularly hurt him with evangelicals. I don't think uh, either that it helped him necessarily. What I do think helps him uh, are the policy choices that he has made. So I think the policy choices are really what will drive his support among evangelicals. I will say that in recent months, according to some polls, his approval among evangelicals has slipped. Uh, there are also some groups that have been set up since 2016, what I call it sort of evangelical dissenters, who have broken off and are actively working to defeat the president. And they're doing so specifically by trying to siphon evangelical votes from the president. My president doesn't have to be a Christian, but Donald Trump has been lifted up as a man of faith. Where did we lose our recognition of what Jesus looks like? So Vote Common Good is probably the most well-known one, and they have teamed up with another organization called the Lincoln Project, which uh, has been set up by uh, 
several Republican never-Trumpers, people like George Conway, who's Kellyanne Conway's husband. And they have teamed up to go after the faith-based vote. Our allegiance first is to Jesus and to Scripture and to the Holy Spirit. Voting for a Republican is not as important as listening to that spirit inside of us. It's okay to go against what you've always done, and it's not too late. We don't have to give an account or a reason for the decision that we make in that booth to anybody but ourselves and to the Lord. Our character is what we do when nobody is watching. It's unclear what kind of impact these efforts will have. Vote Common Good has done some polling in swing states, showing that among evangelicals and Catholics, there was an 11-point swing from Trump to Biden. Even if the decline is a fraction of that, it could make a big difference. So if you think about a state like Michigan, which Trump won in 2016 by just 11,000 votes, a small percentage point drop in the evangelical vote share could potentially have changed the outcome. In the American system, small shifts in vote share can have a really big impact. So there we are. This pact, well, it seems to have delivered for white evangelicals the policy shifts that they so desired. And that idea that evangelicals have been played or they've been duped by Trump, it, it just doesn't hold up. They're going into this with their eyes open. They're clear-eyed about the president's moral shortcomings. And it seems many of them will vote for him anyway. But I'd like to leave you with Ken, an evangelical voter who says, I think, something quite profound. Have you ever been to a piano recital, maybe for a young person or uh, a student? And they're playing along and they either they lose their place or they play the wrong note. And you and I, I, I have no competency at all on piano. But if they play the wrong note, I know it. And I see hypocrisy in a similar way, that we're much better at recognizing it than practicing our lives without it. So I don't have to be a piano virtuoso to understand that somebody played the wrong note. I can observe that. And that, Ken says, is like hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a similar thing. I, I can observe it in others, but to, to apply it to myself is a more, it's a more difficult task. I kind of wish that we gentle up a lot. You know, our whole society it would be nice if we'd just be a little bit more, let's have a conversation rather than, why don't you see it the way I do, right, or whatever. So it saddens me that we've become like this. Thanks for listening this week. And if you're interested in reading more about Trump and the religious voters that he's courting, you can download our app on a 30-day free trial 
and get loads more of our reporting for free. We've got a transcript of this podcast if you'd like to read it or look back over it. We've got a long read of Ricker's excellent reporting. We've got articles on the church and Black Lives Matter, a close reading of Amy Coney Barrett's Supreme Court confirmation hearings and what they tell us about America today, and so much more. All you need to do is go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash pod trial and read it all for free for 30 days and of course you'll have heard me say this before but because we're an open newsroom there are also loads of editorial meetings and events that you can join in on from wherever you are in the world so join us and help shape the stories that we tell thank you and i'll see you next week Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts.